Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join student ministry director Andrew Sturkin for the message, The Helpless and the Hero. As Pastor Mike said, my name is Andrew. I'm the student ministry director. And man, what a privilege it is to be with you all this morning. Seriously, my wife and I moved here about a year ago and we love Port St. Lucie. We love the community, but we love this church. So thank you for being awesome. We appreciate you guys. Seriously, we love you. Well, I don't know about you, but my favorite movie genre is the action adventure movies. Anybody else in here? You a big fan of those? And my favorite subgenre of that is the superhero movies. Anybody else a big fan of those? So I love them, um, and there's been a ton of those lately, right? Like sports movies are kind of out. It's the year of the nerd, you know? It's like superhero movies are back, and I love it. And I, I think it's not just me, it's everybody. I mean, think about Marvel Endgame clearing two and a half billion dollars worldwide in three weekends. That's a crazy amount of money. It's because people love superhero movies because people are inspired by a hero stepping up to save the day. People love to watch that transformation and people specifically love to watch the origin story, that moment when the person goes from being the original, just like Joe Schmo on the street, and then they turn into Batman, right? You got this person who's just a normal guy, his parents are wealthy, whatever, falls in a well, has bats, and then before you know it, when his parents die, he steps up to fight the criminal, becomes the Dark Knight. And then you've got people like Indiana Jones who've got a bad experience with snakes, family's gone, artifacts missing, he steps up to save the day. Spider-Man has this crazy power, but he doesn't follow through with it, his uncle dies, and he realizes that with great power comes great responsibility. It's the origin story that turns the hero into what they were meant to be. Well, I love it, and I think it's inspiring to us. I remember watching the Dark Knight series when I was in high school, and I walked out of the theater like, man, just give me a bad guy, where's he at, where's he at? I wanna take him on, because it's inspiring and challenging. People have been telling superhero stories, by the way, for millennia, for thousands of years, whether they're mythical or true, people love to talk about a hero. And there's actually one of my favorite origin stories in the Bible, and uh, it's in the book of Exodus, and it's not mythical because it's in the Bible, it's history, which is pretty cool. And so we're gonna look at the Bible today and look at one of those origin stories. By the way, this passage we're gonna look at is it murder, it has murder, it has intrigue, has a little bit of romance, it's got people crying out and people being heard. And so I love this story, I'm excited to jump in with you all, you ready? Awesome, so turn to your Bibles to Exodus chapter two, verse 10, or flip open your smartphone and open the Bible app, whatever, just stay off Instagram. <laughs> While we're doing that, I wanna give you a 10,000 foot, one minute summary about what's happened in the Bible so far. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the A to Z, he made everything. Everything we can see, everything we can't see, emotions, intellect, will, gravity, pterodactyls, raspberries, everything. And then he creates Adam and Eve and he gives them purpose and meaning and value and says, you are made in my image, you're gonna rule the world, you're gonna tell people who I am, you're gonna become my image bearers. Well, we know how that went. They sinned, they walked away from God, pop out a couple kids and one kid kills the other one on the next page. Chapter five of Genesis, you've got the longest list of baby name options you could ever want. The genealogies, anybody have any of those names here? No, good. And then you've got Genesis chapter six and you've got the worldwide flood. God is so fed up with creation that he wipes the slate clean, starts over again with Noah and his family. Well, years go by after the Tower of Babel, God separates mankind on the world and then God calls to one corner of the world and he meets a man named Abram and says to him, 
Abram, you are going to be part of my chosen people. I'm gonna use you to do wondrous things, not because you're awesome, because I'm awesome. And he comes to Abraham and Abraham counted what he said as faith and God saved him. It was counted as righteousness for Abraham and he was a believer in Yahweh God. Well, God gave him a promise called the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, 15 and 17, which basically said this, I'm gonna give you a land. I'm gonna give this place, great place for you and your you know, future inheritance to live. Second, I'm gonna have everyone who blesses you I'm gonna bless them, and those who curse you, I'm going to curse. Then he said, I'm going to give you a huge family, and you're gonna become a great nation, and finally, all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Now that can mean on one hand, Israel was supposed to be a blessing to people around them, but then eventually find out from Galatians that it's Jesus is the blessing to all people through Abraham's line. And so he gives us great promise. Years after that, Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob has a crazy experience where he actually wrestles with God. And God says to him, you'll no longer be Jacob. You'll be called Israel, for you wrestled with God. Well, Israel then has 12 sons who later become the 12 tribes of Israel, right? One of them is named Joseph. Joseph has a really tough go. He gets sold into slavery, he gets brought to Egypt, he gets lied about, gets thrown into prison, and then finally, he gets exalted by God to a great place of leadership in Egypt, and because of his wisdom and God's blessing, he's able to save thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. Specifically, the people of Joseph, the Israelites, they come in, the family, and they're saved as well. Great story, read it later. That brings us to Exodus chapter one. 400 years after Joseph dies, there are a ton of Israelites. And the new king of Egypt doesn't know who the Israelite leaders were. He forgets about Joseph, he forgets about the whole thing. So there's a ton of Israelites living in the land of Egypt. Well, the Israelite, sorry, the Egyptian king gets a little nervous, right? There's a ton of these people, they could uprise, they could take over. So he does two decrees. The first one is this, all Israelites are now slaves. And it works. They put them all into slavery, this nasty, gross, evil, wicked thing, puts them all into slavery. The second edict is this, all newborn baby Hebrew boys will be killed and thrown into the Nile River. Well, it's a pretty nasty thing as well. They think they're gonna try to stop the the Hebrew race right then and there. Well, we know the story. Moses' parents, he's a son of a Levite, they choose to trust God and not obey the edict. They don't give their baby boy over and they choose life. By the way, I just wanna say this, to those of you who aspire to be parents or are parents, the greatest gift that you can give to your child is your close relationship to God. Because when you are close to God, that's gonna change your value system and you're gonna fight for them and fight for your children in ways that you couldn't possibly do it apart from God. And so we wanna be tight to God, we gotta be close to him. And so his parents are godly, it is a great moment. Well, you know the story. They put him in a little box and they float him down the river. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh's daughter's walking along. She's bathing and she sees the box. Says, hey, servant, go grab that. They grab the box, bring it back, open it up. There's a baby that's crying. She's like, must be a Hebrew woman, who, baby, Hebrew's baby. And so she sees the baby, takes it out. Miriam, who's Moses' sister, is there and says, hey, do you want me to find a woman to nurse this baby for you? And she's like, yeah, let's do it. Bring her over. And now Moses' mom gets paid to be a mom. God is faithful. How many mothers in here would love to get paid to be a mom? Amen. 
It's not Mother's Day, but we appreciate you still, you know? And so he goes and he gets paid. God is faithful and God has a plan. Well, after Moses is weaned, a while later, X amount of years, whatever, months later, they take Moses, bring him back to the daughter of Pharaoh, and then she names him Moses. She says in Ephesians 2.10, Ephesians 2.10, Exodus 2.10, you are Moses because I've drawn you up out of the water. It's actually a play in words, it's a pun. Puns are biblical, did you know that? It's true, I like puns. But um, Moses is there, his name's after being drawn up out of the water. And now we're gonna pick up the story in Exodus chapter two, verse 11. Let me pray. Lord, you are great. You are beyond what we can comprehend even, but you are great. We ask that your presence would permeate this place, that we would trust you deeply, that you would speak that I wouldn't say a word that you don't have for me and that you'd help us to listen. I pray for the, the audience, all of us in the audience, what you're doing. I pray that you would move in our hearts and in my heart. You'd challenge us and help us to be obedient. We love you and we please bless this time. Amen. Awesome. All right, Exodus chapter two. We're gonna start it off in verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, by the way, we know from the book of Acts that he's about 40 years old here. He went out to his people and looked on their burdens. It's gonna be a common theme. He's looking up on their burdens, seeing their distress and difficulty. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So you've got an Egyptian, he's beating up a Hebrew person. Moses is going out to check out the scene and he kills the Egyptian in cold blood. Now in this moment, I think it's interesting. People are like, was Moses trying to help and defend him? Do you, if you're innocent, do you make sure there's no witnesses around? No, well if you're innocent, do you hide evidence? No, but he's burying the body and he's making sure that no one is watching. He's a cold-blooded murderer at this point. And now you might say, well, he's trying to do the right thing. He thought he was doing the right thing and he just had terrible, terrible timing. We'll read more about that later. But I want you to note this, Moses is bold and that's a good thing. Moses wants to step in and help the oppressed and that's a good thing. But Moses is absolutely atrocious timing. So let's look now at verse 13. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man of the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely this thing, mur murder, is known. Now, there's two principles I wanna talk about really quick before we get into it. The first is the difference between descriptive and prescriptive narrative in the Bible. The first is this. When you look at the Bible and it says, be holy as I am holy, that's prescriptive. You know, the doctor says, prescribe, take two pills, call me in the morning, right? He says, prescriptive, go do this. But then there's also descriptive narrative. David goes and kills a thousand Philistines for a bride price for Michael, right? Not telling us to go do that, amen? And so in this moment, he's saying, hey, this is a descriptive moment. We should not do what Moses is doing. The second principle is that we know that scripture helps us interpret other scripture. And so check out what Acts chapter seven has to say about this very passage. By the way, Pastor Mike said, we'll be back in Acts and I had no idea we'd be at this place in Acts. So how cool is God for tying it in? I'm gonna steal a little bit of his thunder in a couple weeks. So Acts chapter seven, this is Stephen talking. When he, Moses, was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Now listen to this. 
He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. What does that mean? Moses thought that he was gonna be a deliverer. And he is gonna be a deliverer in the future, but he has awful timing. But his resume is pretty stacked up, right? He's, he's the Hebrew who lived among the Egyptians, who's really bold and fights for justice. He's the perfect guy to step in, but he wasn't doing it in God's timing. Parents, you know that timing is just important in the obedience as the act itself, amen? The timing what is as important as the timing when, and he had terrible timing. But second, he also was doing this in his own power and strength and not the Lord's power and strength. Check out what David Guzik has to say from Blue Letter Bible on this passage. Moses probably had little idea of it at the time, but he was too big for God to use. Moses tried to do the Lord's work and man's wisdom and power, and it did not work. Last week, Pastor Mike Lawrence talked about this. When we try to do the Lord's work on our own power, you're gonna come up empty. You're gonna come up tired. You're gonna be frustrated. You might even say, God, where are you? And he's like, homie, I'm not in this. This is you spinning your wheels. Too many Christians are exhausted because you're doing it on your own power. You're never married. You're never meant to carry those burdens alone. And by the way, Moses might even thought, God's on my team. He's got my back. Listen, God isn't on your team, but you can be on God's team. Okay, you can be on his mission and his purpose. He's a support for you. No, don't get me wrong, he's, he's an anchor for you, but you've gotta be on his team for his calling. It's absolutely different. So verse 13, his, his intentions might be good, but his timing was awful. Verse 13, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man of the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Moses afraid and said, surely this thing is Known. So now he's on the lamb, he is running for his life. And by the way, I, I wanna say this real quick too. I've, I've been there like Moses with my timing being off. Have you? When you think that you know God's will and you just jump the gun. I know for me and my wife, we moved um, from Spokane, Washington to Illinois because of a job that came up. It was a cool ministry job. And I was fresh out of college and I was getting married in December and I thought it'd be good to have a salary lined up. Be good to have a position to jump into. The problem was this, I was making a decision out of fear, not out of faith. I was saying, I want control of this moment, so I'm gonna pray and pretend that I'm asking God what he wants and then make the decision. And it was, it was a good moment. We still, God still used us, but I tell you what, the, the stuff that went down, it was evident that God did not want us in that place. And I look back now and I say, Lord, I. I I was making a decision out of fear and not faith. And that's not where God wants us. He wants to have moments of trust. So, so you might ask, well, how do we know God's will? How do you know God's timing? Let me encourage you to a few truths. First of all, you wanna surround yourself with the people who have the guts to tell you when you're wrong that are godly. Find people who say, you know what? You're being silly here. Don't find voices that make you happy, that tell you all things are great. Find people who love you enough and love God enough to tell you what is true. Second of all, are you in God's word? Are you enriched in God's word and his presence when you make decisions? Or are you making decisions distant from him? Because I promise you, if you're just making decisions when you're not close to God, it's not gonna end well. Is it sin or is it honestly just gonna be godly? Because that's a really easy barometer, right? Are you making decisions that are, that are godly or not? Um, finally, if you don't know God's will in a situation, just ask Pastor Will and he'll give you an opinion. 
So go talk to Pastor Will about it. He'll cover you up, all right? I promise. He always gives me plenty of good thoughts. And so back to the passage, verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. The land of Midian is southeast of Israel. Um, we know from extra biblical history that Ramses II had a uh, extradition treaty with the, the Hittite king who was kind of leading over Canaan at the time. And so if he were to try to stay in Egypt, he'd be caught. If he were to go to Canaan up north, he'd be caught. And so he went down to Midian in an area where he knew he wouldn't be in trouble. Now, we also know that Midian's named after a grandson of Abraham from his daughter Keturah. And so this is probably gonna be people who believe in God. And so he sits down by a well, he's exhausted. Have you had a moment by the well when you questioned what you were doing in life? God was here, God was faithful, but then he thought he was gonna be a deliverer. The people didn't want him. Now he's on the trial for murder, he's running. Have you had that moment when you're sitting down by a well and you're like, God, what am I doing here? But God had a plan. Let's read on with me. Verse 16, now the priests of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flocks. So he sits down by the well, some girls walk up, the son or the daughters of Midian, who's also named Ruel or Jethro in this passage, and they're coming to get water. And Moses is like, what's up ladies, how y'all doing? He's talking to them. All of a sudden some rival shepherds run in and chase the girls away. Moses stands up and says, not today. And he goes and he chases the shepherds away. He saves the day. It's so awesome. Our hero has still got his heartbeat for justice. He's generous to people he doesn't even really know. He's standing up for the oppressed. Our boy still got it. And by the way, do you run from a wimp? Do you run from a person who's like, guys, we should, let's talk about this. They're at the well first, you know? And like, you don't do that. You go, no, Moses stands up and he chased them away. Our hero has still got the gumption. I think it's important to notice that he still has that fire and that passion and that boldness. And so then the girls are here. They go up to their dad in verse 18. When they came home to have, excuse me, when they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you've come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us. Is that true? No, it's, it's he's a Hebrew, but he probably looked like an Egyptian probably still rocking the Egyptian clothes, and he delivered them. Again, he's the deliverer out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah, excuse me, 21, and Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Can you imagine the girls? Dad's like, hey, go get the guy and bring him home. We're gonna have a meal together. The girls were like, we're having a boy for dinner. <laughs> this moment's exciting. So Moses comes in, and he's content to dwell with them. He marries Zipporah, and he's got a son. They name him Gershom. By the way, the name Gershom sounds a lot like the Hebrew word sojourner, which can also be translated stranger. And so here's Moses, again, another well experience, where he says, I'm not among the people of my birth, and I'm not among the people of my childhood. I am a stranger in this land. I wonder if he's thinking that God must have missed his opportunity with him, or rather, he's thinking, I've lost my chance. Now, these next few verses are, in my opinion, some of the most important verses in the Bible. So please read with me in verse 23. 
During those days, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. I'm gonna read that last bit again. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. The cry is powerful to God. I hope you don't miss this. When's the last time that you prayed so authentically that you groaned in your prayers? When is the last time that you cried out to God with no lipstick on that prayer and said, I need rescue right now? Because I'm telling you, that's what's gonna stir the heart of our God. Too many times Christians come together and we try to sound like we've got our life together in our prayers. Even just you and God, Lord, thank you for this day, bless our food, blah, blah, blah. That's great, pray that, be thankful, but be authentic because God knows, God sees your heart. And what stirs the heart of God? A cry, an authentic little cry. My wife and I have two little Yorkie puppies. They're so cute and fun, actually not puppies anymore, but they they're, feel like puppies, you know? And one of them's name is Thor. He was a, a pound when we got him. And so you could hold him in the palm of your hand, he's super cute. Well, my wife was convinced that we needed to take that little puppy and whenever he cried at night to get up with him and like coddle him back to sleep. And I'm like, just let him cry it out, he'll be okay. I know I'm heartless, but like let the puppy cry out, he'll be fine. Well, Katie was exhausted for like three weeks straight because she'd wake up in the middle of the night and go play with him until he fell back asleep again. That little rat would cry <laughs> and my wife's fur baby heart would go crazy. That dog mom heartbeat of her, would, she'd run and sprint to that little baby. He'd just go, help, I'm sad. And she'd be like, they're like, oh, I'm here to rescue you, baby. I'm here to take care of you. And that's a dog. <laughs> How much more do you see this with, with mothers of babies? Yeah. Man, that cry is powerful, especially newborns. That's a dynam dynamite cry. Listen, cry out to your God. And, and I love in this passage, it says that God knew and God heard because it gets results. I, I don't want you to miss this. Oftentimes when we think of God, we think of kind of a platonic being, right? This means that God is omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's omnibenevolent, which is true. God is all powerful, he's all good, he's all knowing, and he's all present. However, we oftentimes get this view of God that's almost two dimensional and we forget that God is active in the story. As a matter of fact, I would argue that when you look at just that version of God, you are ignoring massive parts of scripture that reveal God as he reveals himself as close and personal and listening and active. The problem is this, we, don't, we forget that God's omniscience says that I can hear your prayer. We forget that God's omnipotence says, I'm gonna come in and rescue. We forget that God's omnibenevolence says, I've got a heart for you, I love you, I am all good. We forget that his omnipresence says, he can draw near and be close. Do not let your view of God get stale. Let it be what the Bible teaches, that God is listening, that God is active. Centuries before that, there was a woman named Hagar, and she was a slave of Abraham who's talked about in this entire thing. She got pregnant by Abraham because Abraham wasn't trusting God, but that wasn't her fault. She got pregnant and then Sarah, Abraham's wife, got jealous and they kicked her out of the house. She goes away, sits down by a spring and is crying because she is done. 
She's chased away from her home, no longer has a supply of food and money and clothing and shelter. She's on her own, pregnant and desolate. And you know what happens? The angel of the Lord shows up and says, God has seen you. And then he provides and says, go back to Abraham and Sarah. They're gonna take you back, I promise. And she says, you are the God who sees. Years later, she comes back, she gives birth to Ishmael. And then finally, Abraham has faith, he trusts God. And then him and Sarah have a son named Isaac. Well, at Isaac's weaning party, by the way, let's bring weaning parties back, amen? Forget gender reveal parties, let's do weaning parties. No? Okay. But anyway, at his weaning party, there's Isaac and he's making fun of Ishmael. He's like, hey, you little punk, you stupid little kid, whatever, right? He's making fun of him. And then all of a sudden, Sarah gets mad and says, you know what? Enough of you guys. Your slave and your slave's kid can get out of here. And they kick him out in the desert and they go a ways away and they run out of food, they run out of water and they're parched. And at this moment, Hagar looks down at her boy and she knows that her son is gonna die. So she puts him under a tree and walks away so she can't hear her son die. And then it says the boy's crying out. And then the angel of the Lord comes down to Hagar and says, hey, the Lord heard the cry of the boy. Folks, God is the God who sees and God is the God who hears. Do not get this view of God that is distant. God is close. And so my encouragement to you, you might be in the story and you might be the helpless. My encouragement is cry out to a good dad. He loves you to pieces. He loves you more than you could love anything. So cry out to him, quit the niceties, praise God, cry out to him because he is intimate and he is close. And by the way, the covenant that's promised here is the Abrahamic covenant where he says, I'm gonna give you the land, I'm gonna give you the family, I'm gonna give you a blessing, I'm gonna bless everybody through you and eventually that's Jesus. So our covenant is with Jesus. And he says, there is no condemnation for those from Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. You are completely covered. And Jesus says to his disciples, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, through Jesus. And he says, I'm with you, I've got your back. Romans is just full of it. Check it out, that new covenant is through Jesus and he will remember his promise to you. But you've gotta cry out, because that stirs the heartstrings. By the way, I want you to notice the order here. People cry out and then watch what happens and Exodus chapter three, verse one. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. By the way, Moses at this point in the scripture is 80 years old. We read that in other parts of the passage in Acts chapter seven. You are never too old or too young to be used by God to answer his call. So if you're sitting here and thinking, I can't be used, I'm calling baloney. You can be used by God. God is able to use you at any point in your life. Answer the call. So here's Moses, 80 years old. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And apparently in very arid climates, bushes can catch on fire and they burn up. That wasn't the miracle. The miracle was that it was continuing to burn and it was never consumed. And so Moses says this in verse three. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. Now, what do you think is gonna happen right now? Moses so far has had this heartbeat for justice. He stands up to the shepherds. He fights the, sl- the people that are trying to hurt the Hebrew slave, right? He's standing up, he's standing up, he's fighting. You think Moses is gonna wanna answer the call here right away? This is his origin story. 
Let's find out. Verse three, and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. By the way, in Hebrew, when you wanna emphasize something, you repeat it. Today, we'll underline, highlight, shout, all caps. This, you repeat. So he's saying with emphasis, I'm calling you out, Moses. And Moses replies, here I am. Then he said this, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Don't come any closer because I'm holy. Now the word holy is is a very intense word. It basically can be summed up to this. The, The pure intensity of God's goodness becomes dangerous to fallen creatures. Because of our issue of sin, God's intense goodness, it becomes a dangerous to be in proximity near it. So he says, don't come any closer. The very ground that you are standing on is holy. And by the way, the angel of the Lord, we know this from other passages of scripture, is actually the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, it's called a Christophany, and you can study it more on your own later. It is so cool. There are moments in the Old Testament when we know that this is the pre-incarnate Christ come, and this is Jesus, because he's holy, because he predicts the future, because he forgives sins, things that only God does. And we know Jesus on the road to Emmaus, years later, is gonna say, hey, I am throughout the entire Old Testament. But check it out, it's so cool. This is actually Jesus in the Old Testament. But he says this, don't come any closer because I am holy. And at this point, God's gonna call Moses to something greater than himself. You ever been part of a team that was so focused on one mission and one goal that it just was so much fun to be a part of it? I worked at a camp one time and everyone was like all in for the cause of Christ. We wanna see the lost come to Jesus. And everyone from the bottom of the cooks to the top of the executive board, to the counselors, to the directors, they would sacrifice whatever it took to reach the lost for Christ. And that's an inspiring team to be a part of because we were called to something greater than any one of us on our own. Moses had tried to do this on his own and it failed miserably, but God is about to call him to something even greater something bigger. By the way, there's a view today called secular humanism. It basically says this, because God doesn't exist, we have to create our own value, our own meaning, and our own purpose in the world, which is really dumb because you change, right? You grow, you get smarter. And if you develop, that proves the ideas you used to have weren't any good. Another good proof of that's Facebook. How often do you post a picture and think, why did I post that (laughs) a while later, right? Which is good, that means you're growing up. The problem is when we say, this is the view, this is what's right, this is my value, first of all, you might disagree with somebody, but second of all, it's all based on you. God says, rather, put your value system where I put it, put it outside of your own system because I am unchanging, I am sovereign, and I am good and wise. That's where our system is put, in the value that God has. So he's gonna call all of us to something greater than ourselves. Let's continue reading. Verse five, don't come near Take your sandals off your feet for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. Verse six, then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. He says, I'm the God of your lineage. I'm the God of history. And then he says this, Moses' reaction is, is fear. Is that a healthy reaction to God sometimes? I think it is. 
Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, we read in Proverbs. Now, we know that perfect love casts out fear in the New Testament, but there's a healthy reverence, right? Fear brings respect. Fear brings honor. And when you're a little bit afraid, like my dad, oh man, if you got on the wrong side of my dad, there was a moment where I was like afraid. And that brings a healthy order and respect. But then he's also a good daddy and he brings us in and loves us. So it's a really tight tension. But in this moment, Moses experienced, he experiences fear. Verse seven, the Lord said, I've surely seen, again, a second time, the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because they're taskmasters. I know their suffering. Now, if you underline in your Bible, I'm not telling everyone to do this, but if you do, underline the beginning of verse eight. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you. Now underline that next part, come, I will send you. Do you see the correlation there? God says, I have come to deliver because I've heard their cry, and now I'm gonna send you to go do the work. This is so important that we get this. Maybe someone in your life right now is crying out to God and God's heart has been stirred to action and God wants to deliver and God could be sending you to be part of that change. God loves to use human free agents to accomplish his will. Isn't that exciting? Or maybe the opposite's true. Maybe you're here, you're crying out, you're thinking, God, where are you? And God's already working behind the scenes with someone to come and be a deliverer for your life. God loves to use free human agents to accomplish his will. It's one of his ways of doing it. I don't understand it. He could snap his fingers and make it happen, but he also loves to use people as backup. That's so exciting to me. It's so exciting to me. People cry out and God shows up. Verse 10, come I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now I wanna pause real quick. Some of you here were like me when I was in high school where I questioned and was skeptical and critical, which is a healthy level of that, right? You know, you wanna know what you believe is true, but then you also have faith. In this part, I was always like, why is God moving his people into a land that's already occupied? Here's the answer. If you read through Leviticus in 18 through 20, slowly, you'll read what kind of people they were kicking out of the land. You'll read what kind of people were living in it, how gross they were. Um, child sacrifice to the god Moloch, uh, demon worship, uh, sorcery of every kind, and then every sexual deviation you can possibly imagine. It was super, super, super gross. And so in one fell swoop, God's gonna judge these nations, but then bless his people by bringing them into the land that he promised them. And so here we go. Come, I will send you. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, oh, excuse me, verse 11, we gotta back up. But Moses said to God, now the word but means this, he is not on board with God's mission. What happened to our hero? What happened to Moses? He at one moment was so passionate. He was so ready to be the deliverer. He was gonna chase the shepherds away. He was gonna fight for the oppressed. And now he says, but, but God. And he's gonna start where we have five excuses to God not to act. God has heard the cry and he's gonna use Moses and Moses is gonna respond with five excuses. By the way, we have some of these excuses today too. So pay close attention to these excuses. I pray it's not you. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God 
on this mountain. Excuse number one is this, who am I? And God's answer, I have your back. Who am I to do this? That's a great question, by the way. This is showing that God is allowing Moses' self-confidence to be stripped down, isn't it? We don't wanna be a people full of self-confidence. We wanna have some confidence, some gusto to know who we are, what we're capable of, but God is looking for people that are God-confident. In other words, he's looking for people who have God esteem. In other words, he's looking for people with a great faith in what he can do. He wants us to attempt things that could never work if it weren't for God stepping in to bridge the gap. He has a desire for us to be active in our faith. And so he's allowing Moses to say, man, who am I to do this? I'm not sure I can do it. I'm not sure I'm able. And God says, I know you aren't, but I have your back. And then he said, here's a sign for you that when you bring the people up out of Egypt, you're gonna worship God on this mountain. You know what he's doing? He's blessing Moses' future faith. He says that when you bring it out, you're gonna remember this moment and you're gonna know that I'm faithful. Now, why is it important? Because God's faithfulness is only seen looking backwards. You have to look to the past to see how God has traced in your life. So if you're doubting, look back at God's faithfulness to you in the past because he has been faithful. And so here he says, I'm gonna build up your faith. I'm gonna help you have a greater understanding of dependence upon me. The next excuse is this. Moses said to God, verse 13, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, it's a good question. Which God are you? Keep in mind, it's a polytheistic world that Moses is growing up in among the Egyptians. So he's like, what, which God are you? What's your name? And he says, I am who I am. I am the unchanging, eternal God of history. He goes on, he says this, I am who I am. And say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forevermore, and thus I am to be remembered from generation to generation. I am the eternal, uncaused God. I am the God, unlike all the Egyptian gods, I am eternal, I am unchanging, I am sovereign, I am above all. I'm the one who promised Abraham, who guided Isaac, who wrestled with Jacob. I'm the God of your fathers, and I am here to save the day. He is the God who was, and who is, and who is to come. And in a minute, you're gonna hear Jesus pick up on this, by the way. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. We're gonna read about that in just a minute. Not yet. He is the uncaused one. Now, as I was studying this passage earlier, I was trying to read through what the implications of that are in this passage. Like, I'm eternal. So what does that mean for little finite beings like you and me? And if you're taking notes, there are four Ps. I grew up in a Baptist church. It just happened, I promise. But it's four Ps in alliteration. And so stay with me. Um, here's what he said in verse six. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I've observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. The first P is this, I have a plan. He says, go get the leadership together. I've got a plan for you. And church, how good is it to know that God has a plan for our lives? It's so good. I've got a plan and he really does, like a detailed specific plan here. And then he says this in verse 17, and I promise 
that I will bring you out of the affliction of the Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, Jebusites, and a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of Hebrews has met with us and now let us please go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Number two is this, I promise. I've got a promise for you. Verse 19, but I will, but no, excuse me, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I'll stretch out my hand. God is basically saying, my hand is mighty. I'll stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do to it. After that, you, after that, he will let you go. Number three is this, I am powerful. I have a plan for you. I promise that it will happen and I am powerful enough to make that plan happen, amen? And then he goes on, 21, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. And this last one is this, I will provide. I will provide. This is crazy. And by the way, this is not some highway robbery when they're taking the Egyptian stuff on the way out. This is years of unpaid labor that's coming back to him. God is restoring his people back to a right place. I have a plan. I have a promise for you. I am powerful and I will provide. I am the I am and I will do it. That's his answer to that excuse. Chapter four, verse one, then Moses answered, but behold, they won't believe me or listen to my voice for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. This excuse is really simple. He says, they won't believe me. Maybe you're here and you have some doubts. What's gonna happen when I try to share my faith with my coworker? What's gonna happen when I stand up for the oppressed? What if no one believes me? That's a good question. Now, does God call us to be successful or faithful? Faithful, he's like, I'm gonna provide the results. Listen to what he even says. He says, I'll prove it, I'll take care of it. And he does it in three ways. He says, take that staff in your hand in chapter four, threw it on the ground and it became a snake. <laughs> and the snake chased Moses and Moses ran from the snake. Do you ever read the Bible and you start laughing? I was reading the passage, I'm like, Moses, this tough dude who's a shepherd, he's you know, defending his flock, he's chasing away the bad shepherds, he's killing a man in cold blood, and here he is booking it from a little snake. <laughs> like, come on, man, what happened to you? I would, we just bought a house, my wife and I, and we were hanging out outside, and there's a big gardenia bush outside, and we're, we're smelling it, and we're messing around, and then we found a lizard in our house, we threw him outside, and a snake crawled out of the bush and ate the lizard up. It was horrifying, it was nature, you know? So cool. <laughs> But then um, a few days later, my buddy, who were nameless, came to our house and was checking out the bush and he's like, probably could transplant this thing. He puts his hand in, he's smelling it. And then Katie goes, snake, and screams. And she meant to say, there was a snake in that bush yesterday. But all that came out was snake. And my buddy's eyes got like this big and he runs away like, whoa, 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 where? And she goes, I meant to say there was a snake. And he goes, don't do that to me, man. I don't do snakes. So thanks a lot for the laugh, Joe Hamill, good friend of mine. But um, Moses takes off running from this snake. He's, he's terrified. The second sign is this. God says, put your hand inside your cloak. And he pulls it out and it turns leprous, some skin disease. He puts it back in and it's healed. And God says, see, I'm gonna prove it for you. 
The third sign he said is this, if they don't listen to the first two, take water from the Nile River, dump it on the ground, and it will become blood. And he says, I am going to prove it, I have your back. By the way, I would argue that if you look at nature at all today for real, it screams of God's existence. You studied dirt for long enough and you know we've got a very complex and ordered God. He's built us with design and order and creation screams of God's glory. Let's move on. Chapter four, verse 10. But Moses said, O Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. I can't speak well. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I, I wanna share my faith. I wanna be able to be used by God. I wanna, I wanna preach to my coworkers. I wanna talk to my mom. I wanna have that hard conversation, but I can't talk well. You know what? That's okay. Because God made your mouth. That's what he says. He's like, listen to this. The, the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who shall make him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Isn't that I the Lord? Now therefore go and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. It's like, bro, I made your face. I made your mouth. I can equip you to speak the words that I put in your mouth. Amen? God's like, I have got your back. Every excuse, God's like, nope, 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 nope. Excuse number four, I can't speak well. God says, I made you, I can equip you. And by the way, this is echoed in the New Testament when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, don't even worry about what to say in the moment. The Holy Spirit will guide you on what you should say. Absolutely prepare, but don't worry, don't stress because God is going to help equip you to do the mission that he has called you to do. Finally, Verse 13, but he said, oh my Lord, please send somebody else. Listen to this excuse. This is raw, isn't it? Send somebody else. <laughs> He's just straight up, I don't wanna. Verse 14, then the anger of the Lord is kindled against Moses and he said, is this not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you and when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I'll be with you with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. By the way, that just means that the way that God speaks through a prophet, when the prophet says, thus says the Lord, now Aaron is gonna be that way for Moses. He's gonna be a prophet for Moses speaking on his behalf. And he says, um, verse 16, he shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Every excuse is touched with a no, I'm gonna provide, I am sovereign, I am the I am. Look what Jesus says in the New Testament, by the way, with these same statements. Are you lost in darkness? Jesus says, John chapter eight, I am the light of the world. Are you looking for soul satisfaction? I am the bread of life. Are you lost and don't know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Are you battered and bruised? I am the good shepherd. Are you lost and not able to do good works? Well, I am a true vine, stay connected to me. Are you physically dying? Well, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the I am. He is the one who was and who is and is to come and he will provide the ability to help you be what God has called you to. God does not call Moses because he's so qualified, but he's gonna qualify the man that he's called. Amen. You've heard that before, right? 
God's gonna qualify those that he's called to do the good works to which he's called them. And by the way, God calls all of us to good works. Look at Ephesians 2.10, it says this, for we are his workmanship. That word workmanship can be translated masterpiece. God is an artist, he's creating and designing. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is calling all of us to great things. That that's what the Bible teaches. The question is, will you answer the call? And to be abundantly clear, Moses is not the hero in the story, it's God. The helpless is everybody. And the hero of the story is God who's gonna step in and save the day. But he's calling us to be a part of what he's calling us to, to do. And notice that last point, I will send backup. The last excuse, I can't do it. And God says, I'm gonna send backup for you. I'm gonna give you Aaron. What if right now you're here and your heart is stirred and you're saying, I wanna follow you, God, but I'm not sure I can do it alone. Maybe you wanna be a Moses and stand up for God at your workplace. Maybe God's gonna provide an Aaron if you cry out. Someone that's gonna back you up and support you on your goal to do great things. Or maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, I'm not sure I could be a Moses, but I could be an Aaron and I could support someone who's already standing up in the Lord and I could lift his hands high and empower him to do what God's called him to do. Maybe God's calling you right now to, to be obedient. And I don't know what that is. It could be being a missionary in Costa Rica or it could be reaching across a cubicle and telling people about your faith. I don't know, but I'm telling you, we have a sovereign and good God and you do not want to miss out on the adventure of obeying him and following him. Moses, by the way, finally gave in and God used him in tremendous ways. You do not wanna miss out on that. So maybe you're here, my encouragement is to answer the call. But maybe you're here and you're actually relate more to the people who are lost, the Israelites. My encouragement is this, to cry out, unabashed, unashamed, with no lipstick on your prayer. It's really easy to try to get God to like us in our prayers. Rather, God wants us to be humble and honest and be real with God, tell him where you're at and cry out boldly because that's what stirs the heart of God to action. So maybe you're here today and you need to cry out. I'd encourage you to talk to prayer partners later, but we need men and women of God to cry out. By the way, I would argue that almost every moment of God interacting among humanity in powerful ways was accompanied by prayer. Do you wanna see a movement in Port St. Lucie and beyond? Seriously, do you wanna see God move powerfully in South Florida? I do. I wanna see God moving powerfully in this community, but I know that it's probably not gonna happen unless we start crying out to God. What would happen if this entire church answered the call to be obedient to what God's called us to and started to pray passionately? I think God can move in tremendous ways. That's my encouragement to you guys today. Call out to God because he's a good dad and he wants to provide. Y'all, thank you so much for having me today. Love you. Pastor Mike.